really good to see all of you here. It's a blessing to be back. I miss you. Uh, I'm just delighted that uh, I can see you again. I missed being here last week. I want to thank, can we get the, who's our guy up there? I want to thank, before we start with this morning's message, I want to thank all of you for your prayers for me, for my family um, over the last couple weeks. I got to say, I really, you know, people say this a lot, well, gee, I really sensed your prayers. I, I really did. I really did. Um, I sensed God's grace. I sensed his equipping. And uh, if I have an opportunity with some of you, I'll tell you some of the stories of the things that God really did in the midst of all this, and so it was incredibly hard, but it was incredibly sweet at the same time, and I appreciate all of you. Thank you. So many of you sent cards of encouragement, sent email notes and calls, and I just thank you for that. Um, you are my family every bit as much as the family that I left up in Iowa last week, um, and I just appreciate that, and I just want to express that before we get started here, and one more thing related to that. And just in memory of and honor of my dad, I want to read the scripture that he asked years ago, literally. He planned out his funeral, and he planned out every song. He planned out every scripture, and I want to read two verses from one of the passages that I had the privilege of reading at his funeral. The first is Romans 6, 5. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I think that's pretty clear. And then verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And those verses are what sustain us when we lose loved ones. Amen? Okay. The unemployment rate has been in the news a lot. As our nations and indeed the world's economy struggles, businesses are challenged to make enough to pay the workers to do the job. So some businesses make do with a little bit less than needed, and some are challenged to stay afloat at all. Yet even in the midst of all this, you hear about companies that seem to have a hard time finding qualified employees. These companies are going to extraordinary means to find the right people, the right match for the kind of work that they do. And the old methods of kind of putting out a help-wanted sign aren't enough for these companies. There's another kind of work, however, that there's plenty of, too. This work includes all different kinds of jobs, and all of those jobs are important, and there are really only two qualifications for this. You must be a follower of Christ, and you must have a willing heart. A little over a year ago, and uh, it was actually in November 2010, the elders issued to the congregation a challenge from the scriptures. This challenge was related to where we are as a church and where we believe God wants to take us as a fellowship. And this morning, to use a sports analogy, we're going not to rebuild, we're going to reload. To begin the new year, we're going to look at that challenge and we're going to see what's changed and we're going to see how much really hasn't changed. Now, Hudson Taylor, many of you know who Hudson Taylor was. He was a pioneering missionary to China. I'm reading a great book about Hudson Taylor called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secrets, written by his son. When he did his first term in China, he saw the huge need, and he was overwhelmed with the millions of Chinese people who had never heard the gospel. 
he had a very strong desire to develop more Chinese or more missionaries to China. And it was a huge task, and he knew that he needed help. And he was at home for a furlough after his first term, and he studied the Word of God and he prayed. And he wrote this, and I think this is really appropriate, so pay close attention to this that he wrote. I think it's for us too. In the study of the divine word, I learned that to obtain successful workers, what was needed were not elaborate appeals for help, but first, earnest prayer to God to thrust forth laborers, and second, the deepening of the spiritual life of the church so that men should be unable to stay home. Isn't that a great picture of what we've been trying to do, trying to uh, work on this past year? Earnest prayer to God to thrust forth laborers, a corresponding deepening of the life, the spiritual life of the church. I think we've seen that. I think we've seen that. I think we see that growing, that sense. The result being that, now think of this. This is amazing. People are unable to stay home. What a tremendous answer to our prayers. People are unable to stay home. They would instead be compelled by God to join the task to go in to the harvest. When we first looked at the needs we had in this fellowship more than a year ago, we noted that if you have a need for more help, one thing you wouldn't do is just sit back and say, oh, well, I guess we don't have enough people to do the work. Let's just hope we don't get any more business. We remembered that when Jesus walked the earth, he had plenty to do, and he did the work that God gave him to do. But he too saw a need, and he gave to his disciples then and to us today the means to the end of finding the solution to this need. And this is our passage of Scripture. We've heard it a lot over the last year, and we're going to continue to hear this passage of Scripture because it's where we are. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now we see some key themes outlined in this passage. First of all, we see that the harvest is plentiful. In other words, as Hudson Taylor clearly saw in China, and as we can see right here when we look around at what God is doing through this little church, there's plenty of work to be done. In this context, it means there are plenty of souls to be saved, and there are plenty of needs to be ministered to. This passage tells us that anyone who's working in some capacity in the harvest will not get bored because he or she doesn't have anything to do. There's no unemployment rate to worry about in the kingdom of God. Then we see that though there is plenty of harvesting work to be done, there are not enough people to do the work. There are more people needed to serve as workers in the harvest because the crops need to be harvested in a timely manner. We also see who the boss is. Not just the boss, but the owner. Verse 38 says, it's his harvest. It's the Lord's harvest. It doesn't belong to anyone but him. It doesn't belong to the church leadership. It doesn't belong to the congregation. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. 
So we see clearly it's his church. And like any good boss or business owner, he takes full responsibility for its health and for its growth. But he also asks us to participate. We see the solution that Jesus gave for this dilemma. The dilemma is that the crops are ready and there are a lot of them to be harvested and the crop is sitting there waiting to be picked. But with the number of workers currently involved in the work of the harvest, it can't be done adequately, so we need more workers. And there's one reason why it's the Lord of the harvest who sends workers and not us. That's because he's the boss and we're not. So then we ask, or as some versions say, we beseech or we pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send more workers to get the job done. There are a couple of important sub-themes in this passage. One of those is that the crowds that Jesus was referring to are harassed and helpless. They're distressed, they're dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. The other thing we see is that Jesus had compassion on these people. You know, there were seasons in the life of this church, some of you have been here long enough to remember this, when we were actually much larger. But TCF has never been a church that was about quantity. Now, in terms of our devotion to the Lord and our kingdom service, I'd like to think we're more about quality, quality of devotion to Christ, quality of relationships, and hopefully quality of obedience. Unfortunately, this idea of not being about quantity or numbers has led some to think that the elders don't care at all if we ever grow. They don't care about quantity. And I guess maybe in some sense that might be a little bit true. It's not unreasonable, I think, to come to this conclusion. We do not desire for TCF to grow just for the sake of TCF becoming a larger church, just so we can have a nicer building in a, maybe in a different part of town, just so the staff can get bigger salaries. That's not what we're about. It really isn't. In this way, numbers really aren't important. Obedience is important. Obedience to God's call and God's direction. That obedience has at times in the past actually cost us numbers. There have been various winds of doctrine that have swept through the church, the church at large in Tulsa and around the nation. And the leadership of this church has made the decision in those moments that we cannot embrace those movements. And this has cost us. It's cost us in terms of membership, in terms of numbers. When our vision for world missions has competed with other agendas that people had, people left TCF then too. And what's more, you know what? We look around and we see how church growth works in so many different churches. And Tulsa is a real prime example of this tendency. People go to the latest and greatest thing in town. And when the new latest and greatest thing happens, what happens? Those same people, they move on and they follow this latest and greatest thing from church to church. will probably never, TCF will probably never be a church that's comfortable with putting ads on the radio or on a billboard that say something like, if you're bored or dissatisfied with your church because of, and then name a myriad of reasons, come to our church because we're better. I've heard ads like that. I've seen ads like that. We're not going to do that. Now, this is not widely known. I spent a lot of money to have these signs made for TCF. Can you read them? The first, search, first sign says, you know your church doesn't love you. Come to TCF. We do love you. The other sign says, your church stinks. Ours doesn't. Come to TCF. 
I didn't really make those signs. I did make them, it was, but it was just this little internet thing. That but you get the idea what we're talking about here. We're very aware of a real phenomenon in churches in Tulsa and across the nation. What you win them with is what you win them to. Let me say that again. What you win them with is what you win them to. So we've never been interested in growing artificially. We've never been interested in making wholesale changes simply for the sake of attracting numbers. Oz Guinness wrote, to be always relevant, you have to say things that are eternal. I hope that's what we do here. I hope we say things that are eternal. But if we make significant changes simply for the sake of selling people on the idea of coming to this church, what are we going to do when the inevitable happens and the culture or the church is drawn to something else? So I'm not saying we can't ever make any changes, but if we change just to be like the latest and greatest thing that's happening, just to keep up with the Joneses, as the old saying goes, what will we do when the latest and greatest is no longer the latest and greatest? This is something churches wrestle with. They wrestle with it because they do marketing and they do surveys. Uh, this quote from a book that I found, marketing as defined by the new paradigm churches goes much further because its focus is on what the consumer, we'll call him unchurched Harry, wants and thinks he needs, rather than on what God wants and what God says Harry needs. In other words, market-driven churches are built upon the foundation of polls, surveys, and the latest techniques instead of upon, of upon the Word of God. In order to market a church to the unsaved, the consumer must be given what he wants. Now think about this. Since unsaved consumers do not desire God, or the things of God, they have to be enticed by something else. Thus, the temptation then arises for a church to change or at least hide who they are so that they appeal to unchurched Harry. Additionally, the church is tempted to alter its message to correspond with what Harry wants to hear and thinks he needs. The end result is a gospel that appeals to Harry's fallen nature in an effort to entice him to come to Christ, the ultimate felt need supplier so that he is fulfilled and feels better about himself. But let's ask these questions. Can churches really hide their identity without losing their religious character? Can the church view people as consumers without inevitably forgetting that they are sinners? Can the church promote the gospel as a product and not forget that those who buy it must repent? Can the church market itself and not forget that it does not belong to itself, but to Christ? Can the church pursue success in the marketplace? and not lose its biblical faithfulness? These are good questions, aren't they? At TCF, we've made a careful and prayerful and we trust obedient decision before God that we don't want the kind of growth that comes with these things that we're talking about. But we do want God-given growth. Not something we have to generate by becoming something we're not, we want this growth. Why? So we will have more laborers, more help for this little corner of the harvest that we call TCF. One of the strengths of this church is our relationships, the longevity of our relationships, the fact that we've been together and we work together and share our lives in Christ together. This is a significant component in the reality that we have a strong core of committed Christians in this church. And in that sense, we've experienced 
and I think continue to experience a growth in quality, quality of relationship with Christ and with each other. You know what? And if you're not experiencing that here, then I think maybe you might not be invested as much in TCF as you ought to be. That's a whole nother sermon. But to date, this has not led, this growth in quality, which I really believe happens here at TCF, and if you've been here long enough, you know that's true. This hasn't led to a corresponding growth in quantity and the numbers of people attending this church. But you know what? The elders believe that's beginning to change. We believe that's beginning to change. I've heard many people here say things like, I can't understand why anybody wouldn't want to come to TCF. Why is that? It's because they've gained so much. They've grown so much in Christ during their years here. It's because they've seen how this body ministers to one another in times of crisis. It's because we have a genuine sense of family here. Yet there's a practical reality at work. And we have to be honest and recognize this. If God has called us as a church to release laborers into the harvest, it's right there on your bulletin every week. Whether that harvest is the Good News Club, whether it's VBS, it's POPs, whether it's the overseas mission field, whether it's some other church ministry, or even your own individual circle of influence, your family, your friends, your neighbor, your co-workers. How can we disciple and train and release people who aren't part of us? In that sense, we do indeed care about numbers. Because the work of the harvest that God has given us as a church takes people. It takes a certain number of people who are committed to going into the harvest as part of what we're doing as a church and as a personal commitment to the Lord in their own individual spheres of influence. Now, as the elders reviewed the state of the church back in 2010 before we first issued this challenge, and then just a few weeks ago, we revisited some of these things in an elders meeting, there continues to be a clear recognition that with all the good things we have going on here, and you know what? We do have a lot of good things going on here. We still need more help. That hasn't changed. Though we do have a sense, as I just noted, that it's beginning to change. And there's a sense among the elders that there's a building of momentum. We have a sense there's a building of momentum. God is hearing our prayers. We're already doing a lot with what we have. But there's a desire on the part of many to do so much more and to be more effective still with what we're already doing. But here's where the challenge comes in. We see here that the harvest is God's. It's not ours. Yet as we work in the harvest, we need more people to put their hands to the plow and to work with us. We noted that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, had compassion on them. Compassion is certainly a component of our motivation here, our motivation to bring more workers to join in the harvest work. But compassion is not our entire, it's not even our highest motivation. We do care that people are helpless. We do care that they're hurting. We care more still that they are lost without Christ. The phrase in this passage, like sheep without a shepherd, makes me think of something else related to our theme here this morning. Here in Tulsa, perhaps because it's always been such a religious city, there are a lot of people who say they are Christians but never go to church. Do we all know some of those people? I think we do. Now, some of these individuals may in fact be believers and some may not. 
But the reality for both is the same. When they're not invested in a fellowship, when they're not part of a local church, they are like sheep without a shepherd. I don't care what they say. That's the truth. But specifically speaking of those many Christians who've been burned by a church and left it, and perhaps they've even left a church and not connected elsewhere for reasons that we might hear and think are suspect in a little bit, they are still like sheep without a shepherd. And as such, believers or not, they are in spiritual danger. God intends for us to be in fellowship with one another. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 5 and 6 says this, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. I think there are some of these people that God wants to bring here to TCF. They are sheep without a shepherd, and they need a shepherd. They need a church family like TCF. The word used here refers to the weariness and fatigue which results from labor and being burdened. He saw the people burdened with the rites of religion and the doctrines of the Pharisees, sinking down under their ignorance and tradition and neglected by those who ought to have been enlightened teachers Without his care, they would stray away. So the truth is I would discourage you from making an effort to invite someone who's already invested in another fellowship to leave their church and come to TCF. I would encourage you to remember that the unchurched, Christian or not, find their souls in danger. So how do we do this? How do we put out, so to speak, the help wanted sign? We noted first that the harvest is plentiful. Do we have any doubt about that? Look around you. We all know so many people who need the Lord. We can just look at our culture. We can look in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and see how lost people are. We can just look at our neighbors and coworkers, schoolmates. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, and I think that's really true. It was true then. It was true last year when we first considered this challenge. And it's true today. But we also see that the workers are few. Another thing I think of is helping us as individuals find the connection between what we do and the harvest. There are always somewhat invisible, somewhat thankless jobs that are involved in harvest work. Every, not everyone gets to reap. You know, that's what we always look to. The moment that people give their lives to Christ, and that's a wonderful thing to be a part of. But not everyone gets to do that. It's easy for us to see the connection between what we do and laboring in the harvest when we have the privilege of leading someone to Christ. It's a little more difficult to see that connection when you clean toilets or simply pray or do the bookkeeping or work in the tape room or paint or fix or simply pray or even greet visitors or change dirty diapers in the nursery or simply pray. But you know what? It's all harvest work. All of those things I mentioned and many more that I didn't mention and could mention are harvest work. It's all important, even vital, to the work of the harvest. My prayer is, Lord, help us to serve you and help us to see that in serving you, we are serving as harvest workers, even if we never personally witness souls being saved. Yet, the truth remains, we do want to see souls saved. That's what the harvest 
is all about. It's a harvest of souls, people who are converted from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of marvelous light. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 14, tells us this. How then can they call on the one whom they have not, who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's be a people of beautiful feet. Let's play our individual parts in bringing the good news. So I think God does want to bring growth to TCF in these ways. This is the same list we looked at last year when we first considered this idea. I think God wants to bring growth through evangelism and salvation, whether it be through a church program or through our individual relationships with people that we have. New believers coming into the kingdom of God and then coming to TCF to be discipled, to grow, and then to serve in the harvest themselves. I think that's our number one priority. That's what we want to see the most. Not that the other ways we want to grow are not important, but this is important. This is what we really want to see, and this we want to pray for. Secondly, I think God wants to grow TCF by uh, bringing those who are unchurched, who for a variety of reasons are thus harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And I think finally God wants to bring growth with those who particularly resonate with the kind of the unique vision that we have here at TCF. The idea that we want to train and release laborers into the harvest and specifically our calling as a church to the world missions field. These people just need to find us. And how are they going to find us? We need to pray and we need to talk and we need to be out there in the community. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus gave us the first instructions on how to get there, how to see more laborers come into the harvest. We're to ask the Lord of the harvest to bring workers. Now, that doesn't preclude any further action. We've seen that this past year in answer to our prayer. We've seen God respond by leading people in different ways. We've had new prayer initiatives. But where do we start? And not just start, because we started more than a year ago, so how do we continue? Same answer, we pray. We pray and continue to pray. And we persevere in our prayers. In praying, we're acknowledging that this is God's harvest. We're acknowledging that we are absolutely and completely dependent on him. We're recognizing that anything that comes from our own designs, our own intellect, is worthless toward achieving the goal for more workers for the harvest. However, ideas and strategies, follow-up action that flows from these prayers will be more clearly his design, and that'll be easier for us to see. But it's critical to note and remember that the only thing Jesus said specifically to do was pray. He didn't say come up with an action plan. He didn't say create an advertising and marketing campaign. So with that in mind, the elders would like to reload. We want to reissue a challenge to all of us here at TCF. Last year when we did this, we said, okay, let's do this. We didn't say that. We said, let's, we said, let's do this for the course of 2011. And then as 2011 ended, we began to pray and think, okay, what do we want to do with this? And we decided we're not going to put a timetable on it this time. We're just going to say we want to continue, we want to persevere, 
and we want to um, challenge everybody to join us and pray intentionally, specifically, and regularly this prayer that Jesus told us to pray, to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest, and specifically, since we at TCF are part of his harvest, that God would send to us those he desires to join in this harvest work with us. So we're challenging you again. We're challenging you to pray at least weekly, but hopefully more often, even daily throughout the course of the coming months. We'll continue to pray for this from the pulpit regularly in our elders meeting and our corporate prayer meeting. We're also going to continue to have our Saturday prayer advance, although we're going to alter that just a little bit. We're going to have it here at church each quarter starting this month in January. And then in those other months that aren't part of the quarterly, we're going to ask people to, we're still going to have sign-up sheets, and we're going to ask people to sign up for that, but pray at home or wherever you'd like. So that's what we're going to do. We want to ask you to join us. Let's seek God together and trust him to bring the workers we need, to do the things we believe that God has given us to do as a church. And let's also take note that immediately after this passage that we read from Matthew 9 earlier, after he had told his disciples to pray for more workers for the harvest, what did Jesus do? He sent them. He sent them. So as we pray and as we seek God, let's be open to what he would ask us to do in response. But let's continue to remember that what Jesus said to do was pray. So let's pray persistently. Let's remember that the reason Jesus told his disciples the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18 was to always pray and not give up. That's what it says, Luke 18, 1. Here at TCF, we believe in persistency, perseverance in prayer. When we pray for things, and if you listen to our, our weekly corporate prayer, you realize we don't pray for things once. We don't pray for things twice, a month, or even a year, and then quit. We persevere until we see God's answer. Sometimes the answer is no. But when we see God's answer, that's when we can quit praying. Until then, we keep praying. You know, there was a Monday night football game many years ago between the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants, and one of the announcers noted that Walter Payton, the Bears running back, had accumulated over nine miles in career rushing yardage. And the other announcer said, yeah, that's pretty amazing when you consider he was doing it 4.6 yards at a time. Walter Payton, he was one of the most successful running backs ever, and he knew that everyone, even the best, gets knocked down. The key to success is to get up and run again just as hard and to keep at it. This is the kind of attitude that we want to foster, that we want to develop. We want to develop perseverance, to persist in or remain constant to a purpose, idea, or task in spite of obstacles, to continue doing something in spite of difficulty or opposition. The word perseverance is from the Latin word, which means very serious. Isn't that interesting? And that begs the question, are we very serious about our desire to see growth at TCF? to ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Many of you know who Louis Pasteur was, the world-renowned French chemist and biologist. He founded the science of microbiology, he improved the germ theory of disease. He invented the process of pasteurization. It's named after him. He developed several vaccines for several diseases, including rabies. He once said this. He said, let me tell you the secret that has led me to my goal 
My strength lies solely in my tenacity. Don't you love that word? Tenacity. Sounds firm. It sounds strong. Huh? Walter Payton was one of the best ever. He needed an attitude of perseverance to attain his professional goals. Louis Pasteur was undoubtedly a brilliant man, but he attributed his success to his tenacity. As we discuss God's heart for this church, his vision for us, we too need this kind of attitude. We need this spirit of perseverance, a persistent spirit in the things of God, the kind of attitude that is tenacious, which keeps getting up after getting knocked down by the world and why by the enemy. Now, persistence and perseverance, think about it. It implies difficulty. Can we be honest and admit that for most of us, prayer is not that easy? It's not that easy. Some of us, okay, you're more spiritual, I guess, than the rest of us, but I'll raise my hand and say prayer is not that easy. You never hear about someone persevering through a bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, do you? Perseverance is not necessarily true hardship, though it can involve that, but it definitely implies effort and sometimes difficulty. It's something we must work at and keep working at. The scriptures speak consistently to the need to persevere and persist in prayer in many places. We're going to take a quick look at just a handful. Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Romans 12.12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Patience, faithfulness, and perseverance go together, don't they? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6, you who call on the Lord, Give yourselves no rest. And James chapter 5, verse 11, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. I want to consider us blessed because we have persevered in what God has given us to do. And we as elders can't make any of this happen. As we noted, this is God's church. It's not our church. It's not your church. It's our church together maybe, but it's God's church. And we have the privilege and the joy of participating with him in his work. We're not going to call you at home to see if you're on board with this challenge. We're not going to keep track of whether or not you fulfill this as individuals. God has to do this. God has to grow his church. We cannot. But we do want to cooperate with what his Holy Spirit is doing to provide laborers for that part of his harvest that God wants this church involved with. So as I prepare to close, I want all of us to stand. And as I pray, ask God to convict you about your commitment, your persistence, your perseverance to pray and make that commitment to him. Don't make it to anyone else, not to those around you, not to me. On behalf of the elders, I invite you to join us as we continue this season of prayer for the Lord of the harvest to send us laborers so we have the workers we need to do the work of the harvest 
that God has given this church. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this charge. We're grateful for the very clear admonition to us from Jesus that this is God's harvest, that Jesus will build his church. And Father, that the way to do that is to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. So Father, we want to declare our trust in you to build your church. But Father, we also want to participate in that. And the way you told us to participate was to pray. So Father, we do commit now, each in our own way before you, we do commit to persevere, to persist in prayer, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers and help us to grow so that we would have the tools we need to do the work you've given us to do. We're grateful for the things you've given us, Father. We're grateful for the work that we have as a church. We're grateful for each and every missionary. We're grateful for every local work. We're grateful for the opportunities you give us at Kendall Whittier and the many lives we have to touch there and in this church neighborhood. But we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd bring us enough help so that we can do these things fruitfully and effectively. We thank you, Father. We thank you for this charge. And we commit ourselves to you anew as we begin this new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bill, for your admonition to us. And we do trust that the Lord will speak to you, each of us. I want to remind you as we come to a close here, the persecuted church board over here is updated. And if there's any uh, additional material you may be interested in uh, to see Gordon.